This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill, and I'm with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hello, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz. Today, I'm really excited for the show. We have, uh, I think, an an important and informative show with my wonderful colleague, uh, Professor Yvette Butler, who is here with us today, and and she's going to talk about uh, the Mississippi abortion case that's going in front of the Supreme Court. Um, that will you tell us a little bit about your background and how you became interested in, in the Dobbs versus Jackson uh, Women's Health Organization case? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Um, so before I joined the University of Mississippi, I was a um, civil rights attorney um, and then also an attorney working with um, survivors of trafficking and sex workers. And now at the University of Mississippi, I teach constitutional law. And one of the most important parts of that class is our discussion about um, abortion and the 14th Amendment and liberty. So uh, that's how I came to follow this case. Well, I know we're going to get to the specifics later in the show, but generally, what's the case about? And, you know, what, what actually caused this case to come become a case? Yeah. So at its core, um, this case is about whether laws banning abortion pre-viability, so before um, a fetus can survive outside the womb, um, whether all laws um, like that are unconstitutional. Um, so... Generally, um, it's about, you know, whether states recognize interest and potential life can be taken into account before viability. Um, And so in the past, the Supreme Court has said, no, uh, if the goal, if the state's goal is to prohibit abortions before viability, they cannot do that. Um, And Mississippi did write a law that did that. So that is how ultimately we got here. I have a question. you know, kind of tied to the minimum wage law, it seems that when our laws are made and they're, they have a definite point, for example, a minimum wage, and then, you know, the price of everything goes up and you can't live on $7 an hour anymore. If the pre-viability stage changes, then... Will each state who does have a, a a law that discusses pre-viability, does that get refigured or get uh, challenged again? Um, that's a good question. So what—and let me know if I misunderstood your question, but I think what you're saying um, is essentially that, yeah, so if, if a state passes a law that— bans abortions before viability, um, that law is, like, it's on the books. Does it say um, pre-viability or does it say, you know, 22 weeks or 15 weeks or something like that? 
Yes, usually it's uh, done by weeks. And so Mississippi's law specifically said um, 15 weeks. So would that need to be updated if it turns out that, you know, viability becomes seven weeks or, you know, with science or whatever, it becomes two weeks? Yeah, that's a great question and something that, you know, I think a lot of folks have been talking about for a while is sort of, you know, this idea of viability could potentially change depending upon where our medical science is. And so I think right now the um, the accepted um, general range of viability is around 23, 24 weeks. Um, but courts, um, including the courts in this case, have mentioned that viability is like a case-by-case you know, it's something that's decided case by case by somebody's physician. This is so interesting, and I'm sure a lot of people in Mississippi may have knowledge or think they have knowledge of the case. And we're so glad that we have Yvette Butler here to help us outline what this case is, what it means for Mississippi, what it means for the whole United States of America. So if you have a question, we'd love for you to send us an email, legal terms at mpbonline.org. We're talking about the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization and how it's going to be heard, is heard, was heard, will be decided on by the U.S. Supreme Court. And, you know, I think a lot of people will want to know, how does this actually even get in front of the Supreme Court? I mean, it's a, it's a state statute uh, that's written, and uh, and then where does, where does it go from there? It doesn't go straight to the Supreme Court. Right, absolutely. And so um, cases before they get to the Supreme Court. So, you know, like I said, Mississippi passed this law, um, and then it was the Jackson's Women's Health Clinic um, that ended up, you know, like they serve um, patients up to 16 weeks. And so this law that banned it at 15 weeks, you know, like they were concerned about their patients who needed um, abortions after that 15-week mark. And so it's challenged at um, what's called like the federal district court level. Um, and then it, uh, Mississippi appealed to the Fifth Circuit after the district court said, you know, this law infringes on a woman's 14th Amendment right to have an abortion pre-viability. Um, and the Fifth Circuit upheld that decision. So it, it's already been through the lower district court in Mississippi and the Fifth Circuit, which is a pretty conservative court, and they held that, that you couldn't have a complete ban, really, on, on abortion. So um, what do people expect to happen at the Supreme Court? Um, so that is—I think everybody has a lot of question marks <laughs> um, because there has been a lot of shifts— on the Supreme Court in terms of membership. Um, so, you know, I think the folks that um, are that are trying to pass these laws that, um, you know, sort of prohibit abortions earlier and earlier are hoping that the more conservative makeup of the court will ultimately overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, and then, you know, folks that um, are generally more pro-choice are hoping that the court will sort of adhere to precedent. Um, and so essentially respect um, Roe v. Wade and other abortion decisions that the court has made. We have a call coming in. It's from Madison, and it's Jim. Jim, thanks so much for calling in to In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question? 
Good morning. Um, as I understand it, the, the state law in Mississippi per se is not at the issue before the Supreme Court, right? I mean, the, the certified question is, correct me if I'm wrong, um, are all laws that prohibit abortion prior to viability unconstitutional? Is that right? Yes, that is, that is absolutely right. Thanks for clarifying that, Jim. Um, yeah. So, so, so they, could, uh, they could answer that question without addressing Mississippi's law, right? Um, so yes, essentially, um, well, it is Mississippi's law that is being examined to answer that larger question. And yes, that larger question will have an ultimate effect on Mississippi's law or other states' laws um, that are similar. Okay, I've got, I've got one other question that, that I'm so glad we have a constitutional expert on today because it's something I've pondered. Um, I'll tell you, I do have a law degree, so I know a little bit about this, um, but not enough. Um, I am not aware of any case in the Supreme Court that overturned um, established precedent, which also had the effect of diminishing constitutional rights. So if they were to overturn Mississippi's law, for instance, wouldn't that diminish a woman's constitutional right to an abortion? Uh, yes, so absolutely. And I think that's a great question. Um, I wish I had the cases on the tip of my tongue, but I do not. But you're right. It is very, very, very rare that the Supreme Court will overturn precedents. And yes, um, if they were Roe v. Like the central holding of Roe v. Wade is that a woman has, you know, like a 14th Amendment privacy right um, that in, includes abortion. And so if they were to, um, you know, sort of undermine the viability standard, um, that would affect, you know, a woman's ability to get an abortion and affect her ultimate rights. Well, don't, don't you agree? I think that that, um, argues strongly that the court is not going to do that. I mean, it would be unprecedented, in, in my view, for them to um, overrule established precedent in order to diminish constitutional rights. That would be astonishing to me. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think it would be, yeah, a lot of people feel very similarly <laughs> to you. So it's, it's going to be a really interesting thing to watch to see what they do. Thank you so much, Jim. We appreciate you calling in. You can send us an email. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're discussing what it means that the U.S. Supreme Court is going to hear Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. If you're a legal fanatic, where can you go for detailed information? I'll tell you next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.
Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is in legal terms. Now, not everyone has a chance to listen to the whole show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill, and I'm here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. MPB has such knowledgeable listeners, and they just thirst for lots of information. So if you want some more information, you can just go to supremecourt.gov. It has tons to things to click on to get lots of judicial information. This morning, we're talking about the ramifications of Dobbs versus Jackson WHO with Professor Yvette Butler. We're so lucky to have her, and we do have a call. We're going to go to Mobile. Love our Alabama listeners. Jennifer, thank you so much for calling in today. What's your comment or quote? Oh, no. Uh, maybe Jennifer will call us back. So we're very excited to have Professor Yvette Butler on our show today. Yeah, and it's great to have her, her expertise, especially on this really, I think, important issue uh, for not just our state, but around the country. And so, you know, the, the Fifth Circuit made a decision, uh, and so did the, the Southern District of Mississippi. And does the Supreme Court have to give any deference to those decisions when it renders its opinion? No, it doesn't. So generally what happens is, you know, the Supreme Court is the— final arbiter of, you know, like what the United States Constitution means, and then lower courts apply the standard that the Supreme Court sets out. Um, And so really, you know, the Supreme Court will um, take some of these cases if, you know, there's like a really, really good reason. So, for example, if folks are confused about Supreme Court precedent and the Supreme Court has to clarify something. Um, but no, the Supreme Court is the one that may, decides what the law is. And so maybe the trickier question then is, does it, you know, Roe versus Wade has been the law since 1973. And there have been challenges, and we can talk about some of those, but but does the court have to give deference to its own decisions um, in making decisions currently? Right, right. So, yes, I sort of, um, I think we sort of alluded to that a bit earlier, you know, talking about precedent and um, I think sort of harking back to Jim's call. Um, but yeah, so generally there's this term stare decisis, which is Latin for let the decision stand. Um, so essentially the law is supposed to move at a slow, deliberate pace. Um, and so whenever the court makes a decision um, in future years, that legal decision is typically respected and upheld um, by you know, like later members of the Supreme Court when they make their decisions. And so it's really only in 
truly exceptional circumstances uh, where they are convinced that a prior court made a mistake or something there's been some big change in science or facts somehow um, that they need to overturn a prior decision. And so in this case, I mean, what, what would that be? I mean, I, I think, you know, Jim's point that, you know, they would be reducing a, a constitutional right by making, uh, you know, overturning Roe. So what would be an argument, and then what is the argument on the, uh, you know, on the side of uh, people who are trying to overturn Roe versus Wade? Mm -hmm. I think the, and I think that sort of takes us back to the great question that Liz had brought up earlier about viability and is that a moving target? Um, I think the main, and you can see this in um, the briefings, if you, you know, want to take a look at what was filed in this case at the Supreme Court level, um, I think the, that the main argument is, well, actually for both sides in a lot of ways, is that viability can be a moving target depending upon medical science. And so the, uh, the side that wants um, to be able to prohibit abortions earlier generally says that, you know, there's really no difference in the stage of fetal development. It's just that we've come up with this arbitrary line um, and that line is wrong. Um, so, you know, like, I think they're maybe hoping that the Supreme Court will say, oh, like, we should look more at fetal development and, like, is it the stage of fetal pain? Like, is it sometime earlier than that? Um, and want it to be more, you know, tied to that as opposed to what is viability, when is viability? Viability can change depending on all sorts of things. Well, it's so interesting to me that so many people have strong opinions about Roe versus Wade. But I bet if we asked many of them, have you ever read the case? They would say, well, no, I've just been told, you know, what it's about. It, it's pro-abortion or anti-abortion. That's really not what happened in Roe versus Wade. So could you talk a little bit about what really happened in Roe versus right. Wade? Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I encourage anybody who's interested to go give it a read. <laughs> um, but yeah, so essentially... Roe v. Wade said that um, the right to privacy encompasses a woman's decision whether or not to terminate her pregnancy. Uh, and they essentially got into, you know, like, what is, what are the state's interests? What are the woman's interests? And I think a lot of the time this issue gets presented as like a potential mother and potential child as adversaries. Um, but it's really about the state um, whether or not a state is infringing on an individual's right. And so the state interests <clears throat> were presented as, you know, protecting women um, for, like, health and safety reasons, protecting potential life, and that really fits in generally with, you know, a state has the power to regulate and prohibit for health, safety, and general welfare of its citizens. And then for the woman, um, Generally, uh, again, privacy, bodily autonomy, self-determination, family planning, um, but then also they considered the harms that a woman could suffer um, from being forced to carry a pregnancy to term, um, the mental and physical health, you know, like financial, um, you know, like taxation on like her financial abilities, things like that, um, stigma of unwed motherhood, all sorts of things. And so it was really about balancing those various interests. 
And, and I think that's, you know, that's what the court always does, really. I mean, they're trying to balance when, when does the state have authority. You know, a lot of people say, well, the state shouldn't be able to tell me what to do. But there are times when the state can, like mass mandates, things like that. And so, but how do we balance our individual rights with, with the state's interest in protecting um, yeah. society? And Absolutely. So that, but but did, did Roe ever say, uh, for example, that um, there's no point at which the state could prevent abortion? No, um, they they never said that. Really, it's more of a sliding scale based upon um, development of a fetus. And this is where, you know, Roe sort of you know, like has changed because of, you know, subsequent Supreme Court decisions. The other main one is Planned Parenthood v. Casey that happened in the 90s that talks more about viability as the standard and less, you know, Roe v. Wade had like a trimester framework, uh, Casey focused on viability. Um, but the ultimate takeaway is that the state has no, well, the state cannot prohibit an abortion pre-viability. A state can regulate it. Um, but again, you have to balance the state's interest and the woman's interest if they're going to regulate. And then post-viability, a state can regulate or prohibit. We're talking about the ramifications of Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization with constitutional professor Yvette Butler. We do have a call from Mobile. It's Lisa. Lisa, thank you so much for calling in to In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question? Um, it's just kind of a, a comment. And um, I'm not saying that I'm, you know, for or against abortion. I think I have no thought. Everybody has to make choose their own life. Um, but what I was wondering is, would it be, you know, I was just wondering what people would think if um, women had to, you know, have babies who would have otherwise wanted abortions, if the state had to take care of those babies, like make sure those kids get housing, food, medical care, and a decent education. I feel like sometimes we try to impose our views onto others, but I know that if someone else was sitting, you know, putting the bill for that for that child, some people may um, see things a little different because people are always telling you, oh, do this and don't do that, but no one's there for the 18 years to help folks with, um, with their kids. So I just kind of wanted to make that comment. Thank you, Lisa. We appreciate yeah. you adding your voice to our show today. Yeah, yeah. And thank, thanks so much, Lisa. I think that's an excellent point. Um, and one that I think, as you pointed out, often gets lost in this is sort of, you know, once a child, you know, once a fetus does come to term um, and a pregnancy is carried out, like, how do we, as a society, take care of that child? Do we, and do we make sure that they have what they need, as opposed to just making sure they come into the world full stop? Let's go to Teresa now and in Lakesville. Teresa, thank you so much for calling in to In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question? Oh, uh, my question is, uh, is that taking those fetus and using them as 
to make half animal and half baby out of them. I was reading in the paper where they were saying that they were taking those fetus and making half animal and half babies out of them. Uh, that's, that's not right, you know, to take people's parts and do experiment like that. Did you say half animal, half baby? Uh-huh, uh-huh. I uh, have not heard. Well, uh, I, I think that might be a Southern Remedy question on what is done with fetuses, but we have Southern Remedy shows every day at uh, 11. That that would be an interesting call for them. Thank you so much for calling in, Teresa. Email us your questions. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're talking with Professor Yvette Butler about the ramifications of the Supreme Court hearing of Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. What was another recent appearance of Mississippi in a U.S. Supreme Court case? I'm going to tell you next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. I'm Jen White with NPR. If you're fortunate enough to have collected a few classic cars over the years, here's a thought. Give them a new life by donating one or more to support this station. They'll be matched with interested buyers, collectors just like you who know a great car when they see one. You free up some space in the garage, the classic car gets a new home, and proceeds support this station. It's a win-win. Thanks in advance. Donate your car, motorcycle, boat, or RV by going to mpbonline.org. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We hope that you'll subscribe to our podcast. So many different podcasting platforms out there. We even even did a promo, about 10 of them. I happen to like Podcast Addicts. I downloaded it to my phone. I can touch the plus that takes me to a page to search for podcast. Then I type it in in legal terms in the search area, and it brought us up. I was able to touch the photo and subscribe, and now I'm notified whenever new episodes are loaded up, which is usually the afternoon that we broadcast. This morning, we're talking about the ramifications of Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization with our guest, constitutional law professor Yvette Butler. But if you are a fan of In Legal Terms, we hope that you have listened to the podcast from October 13th 
2020 when we talked about the U.S. Supreme Court case Flowers v. Mississippi. We have a number of calls to go to. We're going to start in Biloxi with Craig. Craig, thanks so much for calling into In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question for our show? Yeah, good morning. Uh, just a couple of comments uh, and maybe one question. Uh, I think Lisa had a very good point, and uh, I'd also like to say that uh, even when legal uh, abortion was illegal, that the people with big money could go anywhere and and to get their needs taken care of, and uh, they could also just throw some money right where they're at to to keep the doctor quiet. So this is this is against poor people. Uh, and I'd also like to say that you know I, I I think that as long as there are two people with different things, that this is going to be repeated again and again. I mean I'm. I'm a senior, and I've seen this happen all, all my life. People go into court over this. Um, so I think it's a woman's right to, to, to choose. And what would happen if just women were on the panel of, of judges there? I mean, men, men have no idea what it's like to, do this, to have something in there, you know, something that they don't want or they're not ready for. And, and uh, that's all, and I'm going to go back to the passenger side of this conversation and listen on the radio. Thank you, Craig. We appreciate you calling in today. Yeah, thanks so much, Craig. And, I, um, yeah, I appreciate you bringing up that part about um, poverty and money. And, yeah, it's true. Like, when states have different laws on this, like folks who have money end up being able to travel um, to a state where they can get their abortion. Meanwhile, folks who don't have the money um, aren't able to do that. And, you know, socioeconomic status is a huge part of, you know, who's impacted by this. We're going to now go to Senatobia and speak with Linda. Linda, thank you so much for calling in to In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question for the show? Uh, my question has to do with what you're referring to as a constitutional right to privacy. My understanding is that even some legal scholars who agree with the conclusion of Roe question somewhat the kind of convoluted method by which that decision was reached. And I want to know, I'd like to hear your, your expert talk about the right to privacy, which of course is not specifically in the Constitution. And I'd like to know if there are other cases in which the, the higher courts have upheld the right to privacy in other contexts. Thank you so much, Linda. I, that'd be interesting to focus on that part. Yeah, thanks, Linda. Um, so you're right. The um, the right to privacy is not specifically, you know, like one of our numbered rights in the Bill of Rights. However, the Supreme Court has found in various cases, um, sort of like the right to privacy found in um, the due process clause of the 14th Amendment, sort of getting into liberty and like what liberty means and what liberty looks like. Um, and it would take and I'm sorry that I don't have enough time to get further into it, but yeah, I think you're right. Like a lot of folks when talking about the Supreme Court will, you know, have fabulous arguments one way or another on how they reach their decision and what their ultimate decision is. But yeah, for the purposes of this, ultimately, this is where the Supreme Court is on it. Professor Gershon, here we go. Another show. Uh, what is liberty? 
Well, and I, you know, I want to say, I mean, one of the cases that I, I, I mean, I'm not a constitutional law scholar, but the one that always makes sense to me is the Connecticut case where Connecticut tried to ban um, uh, any con, you know, contraceptives. And, and the Supreme Court said, well, how are you going to enforce that? I mean, because you, you're not going to know that if you have to go to people's homes to know where they're using contraceptives. And, and there had to be a privacy right because and I think the same thing, you know, in terms of Roe is, what, is a woman supposed to report the minute she gets pregnant to the state? You know, that I mean, at some point, you know, that that is an intrusion. That to me, it does violate someone's right to privacy that you have to say, well, now I'm pregnant. Now my child is going to be protected. My, my unborn child will be protected by the state from the minute I conceive. That how you know that how, why does the state have any interest in that at all? Am I overstating that that a little bit? No, I think um, I think that was a really I think that was a really great summary of sort of yeah like how do you sort of enforce some of these like privacy interests um, and yeah I think um, and sorry you had cut out for a moment so I didn't hear the case name that you said uh, so. Do you want to? Well, I think I was. I again, I'm not a constitutional law scholar, but I think it was Griswold versus Connecticut. Is yes, that, one? I yeah. was, that was actually the one that I was going to say too. Griswold v. Connecticut has a great conversation about privacy and where it comes from, um, and a lot of different theories for that. We're going to go to Memphis now and speak with Chris. Chris, thank you so much for calling in to In Legal Terms today. What's your comment or question? Oh, great. Thanks for having me. So my question is about the the technologies that are related to this conversation. So uh, which one, you know, which technologies are related and are there any emerging technologies that may influence our consensus um, sooner than expected? All right. Thanks. Thanks so much for your question, Chris. And that I think that is actually outside of the scope of my expertise. <laughs> uh, I think that's an excellent question and does get to issues of um, like one of the things that was sort of discussed in um, the filings, and it was just discussed very quickly. Um, is you know sort of like an um, imitation womb. Um, or sorry, like an artificial womb. And like, once we get to the place where we have like operable artificial wombs, like does the, does viability just completely disappear? Because at any stage you can sort of move a fetus, you know, like from like a real womb to an artificial womb. But I think like, that's a really, really interesting question. And yeah, I'm also curious. Chris, once again, we need to bring in all of our doctors from Southern Remedy. This would be a, a good question for them, and they're on every day, uh, Monday through Friday at 11 o'clock. We're so lucky to have constitutional professor Yvette Butler with us today. And that they've been... There have been other challenges to Roe versus Wade, right? So I think, you know, this is not the first time this has happened. And, and in fact, even in 2020, there was a Louisiana case, um, June Medical Services versus G. And was that case successful? Um, so that, that case was not successful in overturning Roe. And actually, <laughs> that one was very interesting because it resembled um, another case that was almost exactly the same on the facts that was in Texas. That was, you know, really just about, okay, like, 
a state is trying to regulate um, access to abortion. So how do we sort of weigh these interests? Like, how do we weigh um, like the burden that has been placed on women who need to travel further? But yeah, none of them ultimately overturned Roe. And, and I think about cases like Brown versus Board of Education, which happened you know, some 50 years after Plessy versus Ferguson and, and overturning segregation. I mean, do you see this is you know, unusual to have another challenge the following year. So why do people think it will be successful? Um, so that it's also <laughs> I think it's really interesting because um, the in the briefing itself, the challengers to Roe say, oh, we're not actually trying to overturn Roe. But if you find that you can't reconcile this precedent, definitely feel free. Um, so, yeah, I think it sort of goes back to this idea of, you know, we have new, we have three new, you know, ideologically presumed to be conservative members of the Supreme Court. And so now there is a six to three conservative majority on the court. And so I think um, folks trying to overturn Roe feel sort of more empowered that maybe, maybe this will be the time that they have the votes. And I think circling back to maybe one of a caller's previous questions. So if Roe's overturned, does that mean abortion would be illegal in every state? Um, so it it really depends on the state. So if Roe is overturned, ultimately that sets us that puts us back in a place where women do not have a constitutionally recognized right to an abortion. So that means that states can decide how they want to regulate or prohibit it. And so that states like Mississippi have a trigger law on the books that basically say, if Roe is overturned, then all abortions are banned. Um, and so not every state has that, and various states have more lenient abortion rules than some others. And so really, it would just be all across, all over the place. When the Mississippi legislature passed this law, uh, this, you know, this trigger law, um, didn't they know it was in violation of the terms of Roe versus Wade? Um, Probably. So when they, yeah, so when they passed the law issue, um, you know, there are some folks who have written about how it seems to be a direct challenge to grow and sort of bait in order to get the case all the way up to the Supreme Court in order to change, you know, the ultimate, you know, like underlying issue, which is Roe, which prohibits like the complete banning of abortions. And so who, who actually, uh, I mean, is this just a, a Mississippi initiative or is this a nationwide initiative by some organization? Yeah, so um, the district court in this case actually um, cited to um, an article uh, where it talks about the Alliance Defending Freedom, um, I guess like a conservative legal advocacy organization from Scottsdale, Arizona, um, that has been sort of behind this wave of anti-abortion restrictions um, so that, you know, they could get various states to try and pass these laws to then bait somebody to challenge it and get a case all the way up to the court. 
We're discussing the ramifications of the Supreme Court case Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization with our guest, constitutional law professor Yvette Butler. We're going to take your questions on our email address, legalterms at mpbonline.org. Do you like to watch YouTube videos? I've got a YouTube channel to suggest for you next. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. for being a part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill, here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. At 11 a.m. Central on Tuesday, following our over-the-air broadcast, you can hear Southern Remedy, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. YouTube has videos, but but it also plays audio, like a podcast. And you can find MPB's podcasts on our channel, MPB Think Radio. We hope that you will find it and subscribe. We're talking with constitutional law professor Yvette Butler about the Supreme Court case Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. And we do have a call from Jackson. It's Charles on the line. Charles, thank you so much for being part of our show today. What's your comment or question? Good morning. Um, well, three little comments. One, that. In the state of Mississippi, and I guess maybe in all states, when judges run for office, they're not to, say, divulge what their political affiliation is. However, I think we all know that political affiliation, even though it's not required to be disclosed, does impact how one may or may may not vote on a particular issue. For instance, like with the Supreme Court right now, Supposedly, we have you know more conservatives there. So, this case with abortion has been brought forward, thinking maybe that because of political persuasion, that the, 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 the Supreme Court may vote differently. The other thing is that one about you know we we talk about the separation of church and state. I do I do think that the issue about abortion is tied to someone's b- biblical be, um, belief which uh, supposedly we supposed to have separation of church and state. The other thing was that a uh, young lady called in about support 
I, I too believe that it's a woman's decision about what she wishes to do about having a child. And I do believe that if, if the state decides it should control, you know, say if a person can have an abortion, I think the state then should put forth resources to help raise that child. Because otherwise, if it's a situation where a family is that's a one-parent family and the child is uh, is raised in a manner that uh, that's not, let's say we would not, we would say not not uh, productive. Well, we have the possibility of more crime. We have the possibility of the taxpayers having to pick up more more cost to uh, in a in a bad way to help take care of that child. And God forbid that the child has to go to prison, then we have to, the, the citizens pick up the up, up a prison bill. And then when the child gets out, since we don't teach him anything, the skills in prison, then the child's out on the street and would possibly cause more crime than go back to prison all all, uh, all over again. So anyway, those are my three comments that I wanted, wanted to th- throw out. And you all have a good morning here. Thank you, Charles. We appreciate you being part of our show today. Yeah, thank you so much, Charles. I think those those were a lot of, you know, really great points. Um, I think especially the, you know, like the part about personal beliefs and, you know, like a lot of folks, um, a lot of people of faith come out differently on the issue of abortion. And so, yeah, I think um, a lot of people feel the same way that you do, that like it is a personal decision that somebody has to make and, you know, it is between them and, you know, like their higher authority. And, you know, it's so interesting that um, so many people I hear talk about uh, government intrusion on things. Like we had a caller one time saying being forced to wear a seatbelt was an intrusion on their their personal rights. And yet um, on this issue with a woman privately with her physician, you know, there, there a lot of people want to weigh in on, on that, that person's decision. And I think they're kind of inconsistent thoughts with each other. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what the Supreme Court was saying all along in Roe, is that, you know, for that first period, it, it's really not anybody else's business, but that woman. Yeah. And um, I guess one other thing I wanted to mention about the support, because I think that has been an important um, part of this is sort of, you know, once a child is born, how are they supported? But also, you know, getting back to the issue about because the right focuses on, you know, like the woman and bodily autonomy and privacy. And there are risks associated with pregnancy. And like the Supreme Court has also recognized that, you know, early term abortions can be as safe or even safer than giving birth. Um, And, you know, the United States is actually number one among developed countries for, you know, like mothers dying during childbirth. And that problem is, you know, it's even greater for black women. Um, So there are a lot of issues to consider too for, you know, for somebody giving birth. Well, it's an important, it really is an important conversation. I'm really happy we're having it. Um, You know, I think, do you think the the, framework of the conversation itself when people talk about you're pro-abortion or anti I don't think anybody's pro-abortion, really. And so, um, you know, I, it's a, it would be a difficult choice for a woman to make. And, and uh, I, I would think, I mean, I'm not a woman, so I can't, uh, I can't think about that. But I talked to my wife about it, and I know that that would be a horrible decision for her to have to make. But, you know, there are circumstances under which she would make that. So, um, now, mm-hmm. uh, uh, if... And you mentioned this, so and you think that, and I, I would 
imagine this is true, that the people most adversely affected by uh, a ruling overturning Roe versus Wade would be uh, people of color and women living in poverty. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what um, about, go ahead, I'm sorry, please. No, no, go ahead. No, no, no please, I, finish your thought, I interrupted. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, I was just saying that, yes, absolutely, there's, there's, there's been a lot of research on this issue, um, and actually, um, if you want to find out more about it, I highly recommend going to um, SCOTUS blog um, and reading um, all sorts of materials that were filed in the June medical decision that was a Louisiana abortion case, because um, the... Um, there's some briefing done by reproductive rights scholars um, that really, really get into the weeds on like the costs of pregnancy, the costs of abortion, and like the severe impact on particularly people below the poverty line. And we will have links to that, links to anything that our experts want to have so that we can have informed Mississippi citizens who are interested in this topic. Professor Yvette Butler, thank you so much for taking your time for being with us today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. That's going to wrap us up for today's In Legal Terms. We thank Michelle McAdoo and Jay White for helping put on the show. For Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. We do hope you'll join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. podcast.